Hey, so we are spending this summer um, tackling this idea that there are three really significant enemies of our soul. The devil who throws deceptive ideas at us, the flesh, which I've been referring to as the, um, the enemy within, and the enemy within has these desires which start out as good, but they become disordered, kind of as guided by those deceptive ideas, and then those things get normalized in a sinful society. So this morning, we're going to dive right in, and we're going to look at a bunch of scripture um, that talks about the significance of fighting the enemy within. Um, the, so the notes that you guys got, the digital version is, has like clickable links. If you want to go home and like follow up on this stuff, go to the website, and it's attached to the sermon. But all of the references that I'm about to go through are there. I'm going to read five, six verses just consecutively, but they're all listed in there. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those verses contain some really like extreme, intense language. It's all uh, kind of all covering. It talks about clothing ourselves in Jesus, that we would just cover up ourselves with Jesus. It uses just like the aggressive terms of, of crucifixion and circumcision, just violent, violent acts. And it talks, those verses talk about denying ourselves, denying ourselves. Why, why is the language around fighting the enemy within, fighting the flesh, so, so severe? Right? That, that's what we, one of the things as we read through that list of verses that we have to pay attention to. The other thing that I would draw your attention to from those verses is this. They were written to a variety of people in a variety of places. This is a map of the first century Mediterranean world. Jesus was talking to his disciples, right? So his disciples, they were over here. Right? Jesus' disciples spent every day with him pretty much for three years, 24-7. Then to the churches in Galatia, which is up here, modern-day Turkey, to the churches in Corinth, which is over here, to the churches in Rome, which is up and to the left. That makes up most of the modern or the known world at that time. Each church, each group of people had different issues. Right? The, the disciples were walking with Jesus and they were trying to figure out, like they were still thinking in terms of the world and how to make themselves great. And then the people in Galatia were struggling with the idea of legalism. Like we have to follow every single law to the T to make God 
got happy. The people in Corinth were on the other side of that. That was one of the most messed up churches in all of history. They were coming to church and getting drunk during communion. And then the people in Rome were trying to figure out how to play nice in a sandbox. All these different cultures, all these different backgrounds coming together under Jesus. And Paul is writing to them in these, these words, these aggressive, extreme, intense words about fighting the enemy within, fighting, fighting the flesh. It starts with Jesus, like the song we just sang, Death Was Arrested. We previously arrested by sin, right? Jesus not only frees us from that, but he takes that which held us captive and puts that in its place. He arrests death. It starts with that. And then we have to move on. But the other reason why I think this language is so, so extreme is, um, well, here, let's, let's, let's take a look at this quote first. This is St. John of the Cross, a 16th century Christian mystic. All the evils to which the soul is subject proceed from the three enemies already mentioned, the world, the devil, and the flesh. If we can hide ourselves from these, threes, these three, we shall have no combats to fight. The world is less, less difficult and the devil more difficult to understand. But the flesh is the most obstinate of all and the last to be overcome together with the old man. That's a phrase Paul uses to talk about us before we come to know Jesus. If we do not conquer the three, we shall never perfectly conquer one. And if we conquer one, we shall also conquer the others in the same proportion. So St. John on the cross tells us that the flesh is the most obstinate, stubborn, the most difficult for us to battle. And here's, here's my thought on this. Right? So God creates us with um, this incredible mind, this incredible brain, and an ability to think. Our, our left brain makes decisions and thinks logically, linearly. Our right brain is where um, our identity is formed, where character formation happens. And the two of those things work together and they're incredibly flexible and they can, they can make decisions on the fly and they save us from a lot of trouble. And, but here's the thing, if we do something repeatedly, the brain has a built-in efficiency mechanism. Right? When we do something, it creates a neural pathway, starts carving a path in the brain. I wake up, the first thing I do is I look at my phone. Do it again the next day. Do it again the next day. The brain starts saying, okay, in bed, 5 o'clock in the morning, alarm goes off, grab for the phone. And it starts to wrap insulation around that neural pathway so it protects it. It's the dendrites form around this thing called a neural pathway and it gets locked in. So now, my alarm goes off and my hand just goes and grabs my phone. I'm not even thinking about it. Here's what doctors Warner and Wilder, prepackaged responses to known situations that go into effect before conscious thought engages. So think about this in terms of battling the enemy within. Right, if we like, oh, I looked at that website once, that's not a big deal. I'm going to look at it again. No big deal. Day three, right? I happen to look at it at the same time every day. My brain starts doing its thing, starts creating efficiency patterns, starts wrapping insulation about that habit. The brain doesn't differentiate between a good habit and a bad habit. We have to train it to differentiate, right? Think about that in terms, like I, with the website, pornography, alcohol, cigarettes, food, relationships, whatever, whatever we do repeatedly 
the brain tries to protect and make it more efficient so it can offload some of that processing power and send it to the right and left sides of the brain so it can do its thing. Am I making sense? Okay. So, the, the fle- are we beginning to understand like why the flesh, St. John would call it, the most obstinate of all? So, we are on our own, like we're powerless against these three. The first thing we need is Jesus' work in our lives through the power of, of his Holy Spirit. And we can open up the paths of communication with the Holy Spirit by, um, sometimes these are called the disciplines, sometimes we call them spiritual practices. These are Jesus-y habits, good-for-you habits. And they, in and of themselves, do not defeat the devil or the flesh or the world but they put us in a position to be guided by the Holy Spirit and to train ourselves, right? To train our brain against these habits. A purposive activity, I've never heard that word before, but if it's Dallas Willard, I'm gonna trust him, it's a real word. A purposive activity in which we learn to live by the power of God in the character of God. So these are efforts that we are pursuing in God's power in a way that he would pursue them. We've talked about two already in our conversation of the enemy within. We talked about service. The enemy within is loud, and it's me, 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 my, mine, mine, all about me. And when we perform acts of service, when we intentionally go out of our way to help others in big ways or small ways, we turn the volume down on that loud, on that loud voice. The other thing we talked about was confession, this idea that when we give in, to the disordered desires of the flesh, we bring those failures, those weaknesses before God and our trusted one or two other people, we bring those things into the light and they begin to lose their power. And we have others involved in the fight that can help us. And the last one, the one that we're gonna spend the rest of the time today talking about, Rudy, could you um, go to the next slide? Is fasting. Fasting, historically, throughout Christianity, is um, giving up food specifically, right, in its historic tradition for a determined amount of time and for the, the purpose of it varies by the time frame, right? So if we look at, you can go to the next slide, Rudy. If we look at the Old Testament, fasting was commanded both by law and tradition. And it was something that was supposed to bring people closer to God. It was something that was supposed to bring glory to God. And if you go and you read Isaiah 58, the people screwed it up. They took it and it became something it wasn't supposed to be. It became something about pride and self-righteousness and it be, almost became competitive. And God said, that's, that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm looking for. So in the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled all the law. However, it's very clear, right? There's, while there's no command to fast in the New Testament, it's very clear that Jesus expects his followers to fast. He says things like, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, right? It's an assumption in the New Testament that the people of God would regularly participate in denying themselves of food for a particular reason season. So today, why, why would we fast today? And I'm going to, Rudy, you go to the next slide. I'm going to offer you a couple of reasons. And the first one is this, is just to simply make room for God. We are, we are finite 
finite beings. There's only so much capacity that we have. Right? And in order to allow more room for God, something has got to go. Something has got to give. So when we say no to food, and I'm, use, I'm using food because that's the historical tradition, but for health reasons and for if you're coming at the fast from a different purpose, you can substitute other, other things in there. I'm just sticking with food for simplicity's sake for this, for this discussion. When we, when we say no to food, um, it creates hunger in us. And in a fast, the purpose of that, a hunger is a need, right? Our body's saying, hey, I, I, I would like some food. When we fast, we take that and we turn that into, I need Jesus. That's, that's how, we, how fasting can become a spiritual thing, right? We make more room for God by eliminating other things. We teach ourselves that um, we will not fall apart if we do not get everything we want right when we want it, at least for a little bit, right? So the, that leads into the next point, this idea of, of training. Fasting trains us to do th- two things. It trains your no muscle. Do you guys know that? You have a no muscle? Mike Breen talks about fasting in these terms, that we say no to things that we can't in order to strengthen our muscles to say no to those things that we are unable to. Right? So if I'm struggling with something, like a, com- a compulsion to do whatever, but food is not that thing for me. I regularly fast. I develop that ability to say no. I trained CrossFit. I was a CrossFit trainer for 10 plus years. And there was this thing that would happen that a high-level athlete would come in, right? Like just say a skier. A skier would come in, not be able to do a pull-up. We would teach them how to do pull-ups and they would get faster on the slopes. By, by engaging the muscles that are there, right, we can grow them in all areas. Even if they're not specifically, it's an indirect effort that is being um, exerted. The other thing that we train, so we train our no muscle and we train ourselves to trust God. God is so cool, right? And these, so God, these are all things from God for his glory and for our good. In, um, in giving, right, we train ourselves to trust God with our finances. In, in Sabbath, in taking a 24-hour period set aside to be with God and for God, we're training ourselves to trust God with our time. And when we fast, we're training ourselves to trust God with our bodies. Okay, I can, I can skip lunch today. I can go a day without food. Whatever, you know, I can go this week and not eat a sleeve of Oreos every night, right? Like whatever, whatever it happens, whatever it happens to be. So we're, we're training ourselves to say no and we're training ourselves to, to trust God. The idea of amplifying our prayers, I want to be really clear, right? Fasting is not a way of manipulating God. We cannot get God to do things he wouldn't normally do by fasting. So when, when I say amplifying prayers, I'm talking about the scriptural examples. Like we look at Queen Esther. She called on her people to fast and pray because she had to go in front of a king and going in front of the king could have cost her her life, right? They're... they're they're joined together. Jesus tells us that there's a, uh, an example where the disciples could not heal a young boy. Jesus comes and he heals him. 
And, and some of our translations, it says that kind, talking to the demon that he healed him of, comes out only by prayer and fasting. Jesus points to the, the combination of those two things coming together. In Acts chapter 13, the apostles were together and they were praying and fasting. And that, after that is when Paul and Barnabas went out and started spreading the gospel to the Gentile world. So we see these, the biblical example of these two things coming together. And while it's not magic, we can't manipulate God, what it's telling us is it's just demonstrating that need for that connection with God. It's just one more way, right? When we pray, we want to be in communication with God. When we fast, we're depending on God. So it's another link between, between us and God. The other way that it can amplify our, praise, our prayers is the opposite direction. When we pray, we want to listen also, right? So when we fast, it clears our mind, right? If we're not, if we're not thinking about what we're going to have, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'm eating lunch, and while I'm eating lunch, I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait for dinner. Like, <laughs> Ben's back raising his hand. <laughs> um, it clears our mind. Not to mention if, like, we're giving up something, like fasting something that's bad for you is not really a fast, but it's a good way to help get rid of it. Any, like gluten can, can cause a brain fog, right? You give up booze. Obviously, it messes with the way, the way you think. So it amplifies our prayers by allowing us to more intently listen, listen to God. Um, an embodied faith. So this is something so removed from us in the, in the Western world is saying yes to Jesus through our body. So much of what we do, and rightfully so, because it's scriptural, we set our hearts on Jesus, kind of our soul, the very center of who we are. We set our minds on things above. And we spend a lot of time talking about studying and how important it is to read scripture. Absolutely, yes, amen. But there is, there is a connection between our bodies and all of that. Like right now, as you're listening, I am praying as I'm speaking, that somebody's heart is beating fast because the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. And you may not know that that's the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you that that's one of the signs that when the Holy Spirit's at work, your heart might beat fast, your breath might get a little quick, your palms might get a little sweaty. Well, everybody's palms are sweaty right now, but um, that our, our bodies, we can engage our faith with our bodies. Ben will encourage us to stand when we worship or to kneel, or to bow, or whatever, whatever that might be. Our bodies are a significant part of our relationship with Jesus, and fasting is just one more way to do that. And the last one is to stand with the poor. And a very small act of symbolic solidarity, by going without, we can join with those folks who go without regularly, not because of, not because of their choosing. And it's a, it's a symbolic statement. We can turn that symbolic statement into action, though. There was a, a year, I don't remember when it was, how long ago it was in Crossroads, where for Lent, we encouraged everybody to fast something, right? Starbucks, for example. I'm, I'm going to give up my Starbucks. Whatever I would spend on Starbucks, we want you to give as an offering, and we're going we're gonna to donate that to those who need it, right? So we're, we're taking uh, an action with our bodies, we're fasting, and then we're taking that, and we're turning it into standing with the poor. I spent a lot of time on this because the why is so, so important. It's so important. You can go to the, the next slide. Um, the, I have it as the second bullet, but if without the why, right, it's not, 
The why is what moves us to do something. I, can, I could give you all the best examples of this is how the people who are most successful at fasting fast. But without understanding the why, I'm never, we as a community are never going to move to be the kind of people who just fast regularly as part of our lives with, with Jesus. But it starts, it starts with the Holy Spirit, right? Like I was saying, I'm hoping and praying that there are some of you who are being moved by the Spirit right now, right? And maybe not right now. Maybe you're going, you look back at the verses later on. I would encourage you to look at the, the verses, these why verses specifically. Rudy, could you put up the QR code? to help you understand the why, right? So this is, the series is from John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies. John Mark is no longer a pastor. He runs something called Practicing the Way. And they exist to help churches engage in spiritual disciplines. And so that QR code will take you to their digital guide to fasting. It's got the whys, it's got the hows, it's got him doing some, some, video, some video explanations. Really, really helpful if this is, I would encourage everybody to do this because my hope and prayer is that as a community, we would become people who, who regularly fast. Okay, Rudy, if you go back, understand the why and start, start small. Maybe you're already sitting here like, yeah, this is something, this is something I want to do, right? I started with a CrossFit example. I'll, I'll use another one. People come into the gym, especially guys for whatever reason, and they'll throw 400 pounds on a barbell. They're like, I'm going to pick this up. You can try. And the guy's back goes out the back door, right? When somebody, we train, you start at a lighter weight. You might do some accessory lifts. So if you want to think about fasting, pick an item that you're going to go without for a day. I'm not going to eat bread today. Pick a meal. I'm not going to eat lunch today. Start small and build. Talk to some people who have fasted previously and ask them what they do. Ask them if, like, the next time to do it, to let, to let, you, let you know. Um, the, the point up there, for God, in secret, like, that's right from, the mouth of, right from the mouth of Jesus. When he's telling, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us to pray in private, tells us to give in private, and now he's telling us when we fast, don't scrunch up our faces and look all miserable, right? And it's not that he is encouraging us to pretend like we're shiny, happy, and we're going to do all this stuff, but that, that we would become the kind of people for whom fasting is a joy because we're growing that connection with, with God. So again, it, this, is a, um, this is one of the more difficult disciplines, I would say, especially when it, you know, we, we think about food, and food is such a part of our, our culture, um, and for good reason, right? We, we, we attach to people who feed us, right, even from a very young, young age, Young children attached to their mom because that's, their mom is the one who feeds them and gives them life. Um, but when we take a good thing and we make it the thing or more important thing than Jesus, Jesus wants to be the loudest voice. Right? And he is already fighting this battle against the enemy within for us. He's already there. And he's calling us into this fight with him. Remember how we started the series. Jesus has won the war. Thank you, Jesus, for winning the war. Would you help us fight these battles? And he gives us things like confession and service and fasting to glorify God and to grow us into the people that he created us to be. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for this time. 
Thank you for my friends in this room. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for each of the weeks that they have had just awesome, awesome successes and tough, tough challenges. But we're grateful because you are in the midst of all of that. Jesus, as individuals and as a community, would you speak to us through your spirit? Would you draw us into an ongoing relationship with these disciplines that you've given us, with service, with confession, with fasting? Would you give us courage to try something new? Would you embolden us to go without? And would, as we're fasting, would you remind us of your presence? And like Leanne told us, you are the bread that will never leave us hungry. You are the bread that will never leave us hungry. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.